Hello, this is Penny Fool. And Bird Brat. It's been so long. Welcome back. And we are here to continue with season two, where we're talking about kink history and continue talking about pubic lice, just like we were before the podcast. <laughs> are we? No. Well, I do just we, saw on Reddit think... that pubic lice are starting to die out because everyone is shaving their pubes. Yes. Do we? Do you think that, like, pubic lice was running rampant in these communities? I would say yes. I would have to guess yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. They're just like us. They just want to be... Also running rampant in yes. these communities. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's not really... I'm also like pubic lice, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, great intro. Just for the record, we do not have pubic lice, if anyone was curious. But it is an interesting topic. <laughs> <laughs> cold open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cold, very cold. It's also cold out. Okay, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> what, do, do pubic lice, like, need to be in warm temperatures to survive? I don't know, maybe. Is that, like, why they I would to, assume like, so. get close to a body? I would assume so. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like you. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Wow. Parasitic. Um, okay, cool. Anyway, let's talk about our topic for today, which is not what we were just talking about, but is a chapter in Leatherfolk. Do you want to introduce it? Yeah. Um, so the title is One Among Many, The Seduction and Training of a Leather Man. And it's by, is it just Tom? I or, think so. Okay. Tom. Tom with an H. Thom. The, H, the H is after the T. Yeah. Um, Magister. Looks like thong, but not quite. Yeah. yeah. When was this written? Do we know? The book was written in 19, published in 1991, but I don't know when each essay was written. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, like, the essay is focused on the 1950s. Yeah, yeah the essay is yeah. about the 1950s, yeah. Um, so it's, like, a look back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, actually, I didn't think about this. It's, like, this is the 10th anniversary edition, so maybe the original was pro- uh, published in 1981. Um, I'm not sure. Anyway, mm-hmm. anyway. Um, yeah, so this is this is by Thaw Magister, a.k.a. Tom Magister. And this is my favorite uh, leather essay that I've ever read. Um, like definitely something that I go back to and, uh, yeah, so I'm excited to talk about this in the pod and see what everyone else thinks about it a little bit, um, and see if everyone else thinks it's kind of ridiculous. Fun fact, speaking of things that I saw on Reddit, I recently become more of a Redditor, um, long time Reddit reader, recent actually writing stuff on Reddit. And I started a Reply thread. Guy. Reply guy. Art. Yes, exactly. I started a thread in BDSM community, the subreddit. Uh, asking if people should do uh, years of training before their first scene because that is like what this uh, chapter is about and most people were like no absolutely not <laughs> but they had good commentary and discussion and I was like wow this is great I'm apparently people don't think that people should do this anymore so that was cool well I mean I'm sure that like part of it is like people feeling like called out or attacked or something because most people probably aren't going in with any training yes or like a large population aren't going in that is what i was thinking going into it too but i think also like separate from that i thought there were really good points i learned a lot from Mm -hmm. the replies i think also like people were rightly questioning like what is training um like right uh in the sense that yes there are there is skills training but also so much of what training has been historically in kink has been like 
a way to like remove dissent about like how things should work culturally in the community and like kind of like force mm-hmm. like a certain vision of like what it is to be kinky um and that to me i was like oh that's actually really probably a pretty good point because yeah i don't know i was just it's com- yeah it's, it's complicated. complicated it's yeah. complicated but yeah. i was like that's actually probably a pretty good point based on what i know so i was like this is that is a good response mm-hmm. and you know some people who were chiming in were like older than i am so i was like cool let me listen to what you have to say a little bit so yep so that was cool anyway so yeah i like this um do you want to talk about why you like this essay so much yeah or? sure i'll talk a little bit more about why i like it before we dive in um so so i think that uh for me when i was like getting into leather i was like how do i like what who am i like what is my connection to my history like what is my culture like what is going on right um and part of those are just questions that white people have but 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 separately like uh like i think that uh, i was like really confused about being feeling sadistic and i was like is there a legacy of this um and or i didn't even have that question but i kind of stumbled upon the legacy of this by like um training with someone and 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 other stuff and i was like wow this is amazing like there is a super long history of like leather people and to me this essay really like was like kind of like the best example of that work because it has like a similar like someone just walking backwards into leather um but like they get super into this like deep intense culture and i was like wow this is amazing and i had no idea that this was like it was like that back then you know i know mm-hmm. in the 1950s which is often portrayed as so like conformist in one certain way in american history mm-hmm. this is an essay that takes place in america I had no idea that there was like subcultures like this. So mm-hmm. I was like, this is really cool that like there have been people who are part of the cultural legacy that I live right now. And I'm like continuing in my stupid threads that I post on Twitter to the two people who read my tweets. Um, like <laughs> that, like those, there are literally only two people who read my tweets because my <laughs> account is private. Exactly. 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 Yeah. 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 And um, yet my view count goes up a lot. And so what's up? I don't what's know. Up with I that think Twitter? probably the view count is like a but, guess or, know. you know, like, yeah, I feel like, I don't know. I think that's bullshit. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, anyway, separate from that <laughs> view count. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think that, uh, it's just cool to like feel, or feel really connected to this legacy. And it's also like, this is also a story about sadomasochism. And um, not everything people do these days is sadomasochism, and I'm a sadist and a traditional sadist, and so I feel like and I like traditional masochists, and so, or not, you know the traditional people who are masochists. So I think that that is also like really nice thing about this is be like, oh wow, I feel so represented uh, in that way. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's my background on it. Anything you want to throw? Just chime in by your thoughts, or I just think it's the the note that you had about like the 1950s being a very conformist time, and then like not knowing about this like very rich subculture there's a really interesting i think um this is a little bit of a tangent but um people have been talking about like the loss of like subcultures really because like everything is like hyper visible and like you have like quote-unquote online subcultures but it's like so performative and like so just like everything is reduced to the aesthetic Mm. and like the loss of i don't know um i guess like very organized uh subcultures but um yeah i don't know I, was, I just thought it was interesting because I think mm-hmm. that, yeah, like there's there was just communities were really able to like fully build rules or like a set of norms um, outside of a public view. And yeah. like really just like it is so insular and that allows like the level of power needed to actually build those kinds of structures. But also like just, you know, um, 
opacity to like outside viewers right right right, um, right. that doesn't really happen now and everything is like subject to just everyone's like discourse and critique and whatever right right but right. anyways that that's just a tangent um but yeah i also like i think i'm not super well versed in like I, i've read all of leather folk uh, but I'm not, like, super immersed or well-versed in, like, um, kink history. Uh, but it's been, yeah, it's been fun and interesting reading about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, cool. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point, actually, about, like, thinking about subculture. And I think also, like, I think one thing, too, about that is, like, there, I feel like there's, like, there still are subcultures, but I feel like it, you have to be, like, a little bit more on, like, the deviant end of things to, like, even have it these days, if that makes sense. But maybe that's the wrong take. But one example I think of is, like, I feel like a lot of what happens in the furry community is just completely outside of the mainstream gaze. And people are just developing some consciousness that people have fursuits and fursonas, and they're like, whoa. But then there's, like, such a complex world there um, that, like, most people don't know about and have any, like, compass about. And there's not, like furry shows being made on netflix and, and stuff like that i don't know maybe, maybe i'm wrong about that i guess that's somewhat true but also i don't think that like i think that the furry subculture is like not particularly uniform that's very true as yeah. someone who like yeah. was kind of interacting with a lot of furries no for that's a while. that's very true that's very true yeah um yeah i see you're so, so this other part you're saying of like you can develop like uh, insular like uniformity of like a, some some subgroup yeah i don't know yeah i i guess we'll have to think on it longer but okay. I, I guess like this is also in relation i feel like i was like listening to um a youtube video or something about like someone talking about how like like the true goth subculture has just like really died out Ooh. um was, like, was there a true goth subculture i don't know in like the 90s and early 2000s or something Okay. Um, this was also like a British person, so I don't know, like some kind of like I don't know. Anyways, maybe we have a human tendency to look back and say this so, this quote unquote That's thing probably has died also out. True. Yeah, and it's also like the people who are probably successfully like running really weird subcultures with like a complex system are just yeah, like you're saying, like people aren't privy to it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Anyways, yeah. Long intro. No. All, all good. All good. All good. Um, okay, so yeah, let's let's start off with reading some stuff from this that we thought was interesting and then talking to it. Um, I, I'm happy to like grab it and read a few things, or if there's anything that you were like, oh, I want to like start and read this, like that's fine too. Go for it. Um, do you want to like slightly introduce the opening or, or like give a little bit of a sure? I, I can or you can. Uh, you you should go for it. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, so so uh, yeah, let's let's actually just like read some of the prologue to just because it's good for background and then we'll skip some of like the like little boring parts in the early beginning <laughs> there are no boring parts it's really beautifully written <laughs> it is really well written yeah. yeah all right so uh to hear the boys tell it today there are no real masters anymore the general consensus within the leather community is that there are about 10 slaves for every master if you factor in the men who switch roles from master to slave and back again the ratio gets higher as for men who are exclusively masters they are a fondly remembered breed the old guard is what they are called, and they are from a time long past, or so I'm told. In this atmosphere, I am not only old guard, but old as well, having been birthed just after the earth cooled, or so I'm told. As a man who has been exclusively atop for more than 40 years, I am something of a relic, 
a teller of tales from the olden days when the legends were formed and the roots of what we call the leather scene were planted. Part of that legend is that there were 10 masters for every slave and that masters were trained by other masters in all the rituals and sadistic rites, or so I'm told. Are masters created or are they born that way? My experience is that they are awakened. Yeah, I, I love that part. I'm like, that's true. I am not a master, but I like do think that tops can be awakened from my own experience. Um, so, so yeah, so from here, like the, the beginning of this essay is just, uh, Tom talking about, uh, how he encountered kinky people, which I actually think is really interesting. So like, let's, we'll like read a little bit of that as well, but any initial like reactions to that, like now we're in a top shortage, but in the old days we used to have a top surplus, like rhetoric. But it wasn't a top surplus because it was one master for every 10 slaves. Uh, uh, oh, par- wait, oh, part of that legend oh. is that there were 10 masters oh, right. for every slave. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 yeah times have changed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think that the, the quote unquote top shortage is a very interesting topic. And I think we should come back to it. Like as we think, th- think about it, but I don't really know like what my thoughts are. I'm like, did, did I yeah. talk about like my stupid theory on the podcast of it really just being about like like the top shortage is linked to I don't know labor and people being tired and overworked. <laughs> like there are so know. many switches yeah. out there, and like all of them feel like like all the switches I know are just like constantly topping like obligatorily. Oh my god! And are tired and just like want a bottom. I love that. They just want to have their needs taken care of and then they can either bottom or top to their heart's content mm-hmm. interesting interesting take i'm here for it um okay do you want to read read some of this part or do you want me to just pick it back up and this is like kind of some of the introduction about like how uh how about i just read this and then okay. and then yeah and then yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll throw it to you to read some uh, the next part um okay so uh so yeah like i said like i was saying uh, we have our main character who is a very young person. He just got out of college. 19. 19. Mm-hmm. And um, he is uh, hanging out and he runs into a crew of people who call, who are later called outlaw bikers. Um, and he runs into this person called Charlie. So Charlie was simply one among many who had come back to an unwelcome world. Uh, this is like coming back from the war. Uh Charlie and his friends had been mere boys when they left home to serve Uncle Sam in his great war against the Axis nations. And six years later, they came home broken men with nowhere to go and no reason to go there. Captured, tortured, mutilated beyond repair, Charlie found a new identity with his fellow bikers who rode hard and played rough. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like Teddy Roosevelt. (laughs) After two nightmare years in a Japanese prison camp, he had still not broken and was punished by having his balls cut off. He was discarded and left to die. I saw a tweet today about how there's no sexy ways to say balls. Anyway, he was discarded and left to die. I don't know if that's true. But Charlie survived. Not the part about Charlie, but about the balls. Uh, but Charlie survived. Of course, it wasn't until much later that I found out about all that. At first, all I knew about Charlie was that he worked as a stuntman, rode a Harley, drank a lot of beer, and hung out at a biker bar with his war buddies and their partners. It was the kind of bar where the crowd was loud and the action was rowdy and rough. Fights were frequent, but usually by night's end, everyone had slapped ass, hugged, and made up. (laughs) A wet-behind-the-ears kid like me was definitely out of place, but Charlie's friends always made me feel right at home. Um, Do you want to take this part, starting with today? Sure. 
Today, in the 1990s, the concept of courtship seems almost as old-fashioned as the world it, word itself. But back in those early days of leather, there was a real courtship and seduction. Can I continue from here? Yeah. Oh. I'd grown up in Greenwich Village and knew what homosexuals were. They were limp-wristed, lisping sissies, and I knew a few. I have a little <laughs> bit of a lisp. It's like, anyways. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of my father's business advocates were gay. Associates. God, I'm like really bad at reading. Um, as were a number of my teachers. My parents were liberals and connected with the arts, so our crowd was pretty mixed and mixed up. But I had no interest in those men at all. And it never occurred to me that butch, otherwise straight-looking guys were sucking cock and hauling ass. While I wasn't innocent, I was naive about that side of homosexuality. Keep going. After a few weeks of hanging out with Charlie and his biker buddies, we ended up one night back at his place for a last round of beers. His best friend and war buddy, JJ, and his roommate, Steve, were with us. The four of us were swilling beer and horsing around. We were pretty we were all pretty pissed, and I remembered um, and I remember that JJ made a remark about leaving the lovebirds alone. I was a little too deep in my cups to make sense of his remark, and aside from that, I never had a clue about what was going on or about to happen. It's good to hear. That night, after JJ and Steve left, Charlie made his move. Since this is not a porn piece for one-handed reading, I'll leave out the part about hot bodies and throbbing cocks and move on to what happened after that. <laughs> All right, let's stop there. Um... So, so I, okay, so I, I love, like, this, like, commentary on, like, these, like, sissy homosexuals and how they don't turn Tom on, mm. and he has to meet these, like, ass-slapping, cock-sucking butch men mm. to be able former to really, military former men, military, yeah. to be able to, like, be gay, mm. and it's interesting, too, I feel like, because a lot of, this is, like, a big discourse, I feel like, in the gay community, like, that you, like, you need to be with a masculine man, you know, mm. like how this like has to be what you what you want or whatever. Um, so that was kind of interesting. I am like trying. I have said this sentence like three times today. I am trying to understand what masculinity is. Oh, okay. I went to an exhibit at an art museum today that was um, called Macho Men. Um, oh, okay. And it was just like that. It was it was like you know thick muscular like Dutch prince. Mm-hmm. Um, and the entire time I was like, I really don't understand what masculinity is. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, but yeah, I don't, sorry, that was like a huge tangent. No, all good, all good. Yeah, I, I, I relate. It's a, it's a little bit confusing. Um, masculinity is a great topic to, to study and think about. I have done my share and I, I fuck with it. Um, so, okay, so yeah, let's, let's see, let's see. Okay, so, so basically, like, getting back to our story, are we going to say something? Yeah, I was also going to say, I think, um, note on Japanese prison camp is interesting. Okay. Um, maybe teaser for, like, future episodes, but there's some interesting kind of interchange on kind of, um, Western adoption of Shibari, um, that really happened during World War Two and, like, soldiers exchanging porn and like practices as i understand it asterisk this needs to be better researched before i actually talk with any <laughs> certainty about it um but yeah i don't know just like a little note there i love that i love that no that's, that's i'm excited to talk about that if we yeah we mm-hmm. do some more stuff okay looking forward to that um okay so so basically like he has fun slurping like each other's nuts with this butch guy charlie who's a war vet 
and they get up in the morning and they have like some like tough bravado like manly interaction where charlie's like get out of my door like basically you fag and then he's like no i'm gonna stay i had a great time and they're like oh and then (laughs) and they're like oh okay and then it ends up with um they're like kind of eating and drinking their beer and then uh this is what happens next tom i says i stood up walked behind charlie and circled his shoulders with my arms and held him as tightly as i could he pressed back against me and then turned slowly around, his arms relaxed and hanging at his side. For a moment, I felt his body tense, come to attention, and then relax at ease. He looked up into my eyes for just a moment, and then, very slowly and deliberately, he inclined his head and rested his forehead on my chest. Instantly, my cock hardened. In that moment, my body understood what my mind did not yet comprehend. But in time, I would learn the meaning of that gesture and cherish it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's like kind of like <laughs> what what makes you say all there? Yeah, it's uh, it's just cute. I or it's just it's the it's the awakening. It's the awakening moment, right? It's yeah. just like, oh, I like something I don't understand that yet. Yes, um, yes. That is like then retro retroactively legible. Yes, yes, yes. Like the like, butch guy inclining his head and resting it on your chest and your cock hardening. Like I'm like very like clear like physical like things happening and i'm like yes it does it does really speak to you which i'll talk about like kind of like the whole dominance and submission yeah. going on um so very interesting yeah tender yeah it is in its own way mm-hmm. yep 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 um yeah exactly okay cool so so we'll talk more about this like how their relationship develops but that's kind of like the first thing we see And then now there's, like, kind of, like, a a history section. Do you want to, like, hop in and read some of this history stuff? Yeah. Yeah. In the early 1950s, the leather scene in California was a strictly serious business. (laughs) The men involved in S&M action lived by a code. There was no tolerance, as there is today, for phonies and onlookers. Very catcher in the rye. Although there were always plenty of them. Since there were no popular leather magazines, porn videos, or even books to inform the novice, everything was passed on by legend and word-of-mouth tradition, just like any other nomad tribe. Interesting alignment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and, I mean, it also kind of makes sense, too, in the landscape of the 50s, but it really doesn't in a lot of ways, too. But it also, like, I think it really informs the sort of... Um, language and like the framing of this entire yes. it's very like ah yes i am the oracle like a wise old man yes. let me tell you my story yes. As, yes. as i was told by my forefathers yes yes um, yeah which i think also sorry to like no, jump, go for it. but go like for it. i think it's also interesting in relation to the entire conversation about like whether this actually existed as yeah it's like so romanticized and yes. like you know described in this yes oh, great call um, yeah the worlds of S&M, Leathermen, and Leather Biker Men were intertwined. Gay bikers and straight bikers commingled with little conflict. Their commonality was leather, Harley-Davidson bikes, and painful memories of a war that had disfigured them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. This was not a carefree youth on a spree. These men were angry. Hell, they were pissed off, and they could never ever go home again. Among outcasts, there's little distinction or discrimination. Certainly a kinky sexual preference seemed of little consequence. Just your everyday oddity in a world light years from reality. 
There were gay bars yeah. and leather bars and biker bars and tea rooms and truck stops and all the other gathering places of men hungry for sex with other men. But there was, under the surface, another group, hidden, on the prowl, among the general population of leather men. These were the true sadists and masochists, who were both serious and devoted. There were no markings, no signals, no keys, no bright multicolored hankies of identification, no displayed handcuffs and cock rings, just burning eyes and attitude. <laughs> <laughs> if they had a language, it was the language of their bodies. They searched out and studied one another like mutual prey. Okay, let's stop there for a second. Um, okay, so so like what this we're, sorry this is like no what this makes me think of is like I feel like there is a tendency like I don't know whether right word is gatekeep or like feel like exclusive or whatever like I feel like among many different groups of many different sexualities where you're like I have the one true intense sexuality and I can like make eye contact and it just fizzles in a way that no one else of like other sexualities can and I feel like I hear that from like lesbians i feel like i hear that from gay men i feel like i hear that from straight people like i feel like i just hear it kind of across the spectrum um hear it from vanilla switches i hear it from kinky like strict top bottoms um so i feel like it's just like yeah i feel like it's funny that like he's like but we hadn't could see in each other's mm. eyes that no one else can because i feel like i just like hear those same words all the time i don't know if you've encountered that kind of thing oh yeah totally yeah totally. okay cool cool so you you feel me um, it's also interesting to me that like even the hankies is like a call it is like we didn't use hankies and now it's like such a thing that's like oh yeah like we have lost the hanky code and like people in the kink community like don't use it or that's like very that, you know that's very true it's very true yeah it speaks to like 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 history is just continually being yeah. built and like people will look back and say oh my god there's no more accounts with no followers on twitter who are shouting kinky stuff into the void anymore that's so sad even though there probably still will be you know like mm -hmm. i feel like it's just gonna keep yeah keep going like that so yeah there's no the past maybe i don't know um okay okay so uh like i'll read the next paragraph mm -hmm. there was a strange irony about the whole situation power it is said rests with the desired object to want something or someone imparts power to that thing or person <clears throat> the desired object is empowered by the one who desires and so is in charge back in those early days of leather there were so many masters and so few slaves that the bottom men this is like one word mm. bottom men it sounds like kind of like bombadil or something like Lord <laughs> of the rings word bottom men came to be in charge masters or top men <laughs> vied for the attention of popular slaves everyone felt compelled to perfect their skills and as a result it was a time of excellence and it was into this world that i was thrust interesting i moved in with charlie and my formal training began my first lesson was this sm is a search for excellence in ourselves and in others and the second lesson was this be responsible all the other lessons followed these two commands and were shaped by them in a world where good bottom men were in demand, it did not sit well with many that Charlie had chosen me and was arranging to have me trained as his master in an exclusive arrangement. Only JJ, who's his friend, seemed to understand and approve as long as I didn't fuck up. Um, so I, I feel like this is interesting as well. Like Charlie is this scarce bottom man commodity in this world of mm -hmm. many, many tops who are vying for excellence mm -hmm. and perfection and skill. 
it's like a really interesting kind of almost like imagined landscape I can really see yeah yeah any thoughts on that or I'm thinking like... about I'm thinking about objects and power oh okay okay um and I, I feel like it is kind of a like a very or I feel like oftentimes it's a kind of um the way that I hear it used now is sort of a defense to like non-kinky people where it's like actually the bottom has all the power mm. you know um and I think again there's a lot of like variation or like yeah anyway sorry I don't think I have a full thought there um but also I think that psychoanalysis would disagree but anyways <laughs> with the object having the power Ah, Although technically okay. the object, okay. I mean, yes, the object does have the power, but it, in that, um, oh shit, why did I, why did I start this train of thought not know, <laughs> knowing that I like cannot do psychoanalysis? Oh no, um, oh no, do you need help? Do you need a lifeline or are you going to, you got it? I mean, it's just, it's basically like, uh, the object allows the subject to like conceptualize itself as a subject. But really, the subject still has. I mean, actually, this is like a long, complex debate, and people talk about it all the time. So, yeah. Anyways. Got you. Got that was you. A terrible summary. No, no, no. It's all. It's okay. I, I think I, I, I kind of feel you in like bringing it back to like also like real world dynamic. Like for us, like you know, it's it is always an interesting question. I feel like that we engage with about like where is the power and how do we feel empowered and feel like real people and stuff like that. So it's it's a. Yeah. Or real, real tech, as it may be. Yeah. Yeah, and also just like, um, yeah, the power to choose to be an object is an interesting one too, mm-hmm. as opposed to like um, being forced to be one. Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, cool. Okay, so now we get into the spicy stuff yeah 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 um do you, do you want to read this part or do you feel like keep going go for it okay there were many things that Char- people will be familiar with this at bottom before there are many things that charlie could teach me from the bottom but in time it became clear to him that if i was ever going to become proficient i need instruction from another master how many bottoms have had that thought oh i'm just with this new top oh it's, i can teach them uh actually no i need them to learn from someone mm-hmm. yeah yeah i've heard that one before um, through his connections, Charlie arranged for me to apprentice with a series of expert masters, a bondage master, a whip master, a shaving master. I love the shaving master, <coughs> a cutting master. What does a shaving master do? A cutting master and so on down the line of necessary skills. I could be a shaving master. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You could do any of these. Yeah. There was no master of attitudes. That would be you. And I, and ideas. Each man that I worked with had a system of ethics and ideals about his work. I have a master's in ideas. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, each of them had a, uh, had a system of ethics and ideas about his work, and I learned from these as well. Um, so that's, yeah, it's all like, super interesting. It might be interesting at this point to note one glaring difference between Leatherman in the 1950s and the Leatherman of today. What SM men now call play, we called work. Mm. And when I am inclined to criticize the current style of SM, I have made the observation that children play and men work. Perhaps I am harsh in my assessment, but aren't masters supposed to be harsh? See, this actually checks out with my overworked thing. People don't want to work anymore. Like, people used to ah, get, like, <laughs> yes, romanticize yes. the work. Yes. Um, yeah, that's interesting. 
and and you know like and it's also related to masculine masculinity and it like, is it is yeah. very related to masculinity yeah. yeah um i mean he says i was in training for more than six months i spent at least four hours every day or night of the week listening and learning i was not allowed a solo scene with anyone including charlie until i had completed my training still during that entire period i had a slave Charlie was my slave, but I was not yet his master. It would not be until another three months passed, and I'd proven myself both expert and worthy. What an archaic concept that seems today, being worthy to master. Mm. I when I, I have my annotations still in this book, when I read this, I wrote yes mm-hmm. um, around this whole, whole paragraph. And I feel like I look back at this now and I'm a little bit less yes about <laughs> this than I was. But this was really compelling to me back when I was first coming out. And I think that that was, that was reflective too of like, I do feel like as a top, there's something very satisfying about the concept of like, I will know enough to be confident going into the situation mm-hmm. versus being like the, what we started out with in that part that I was just reading where he's playing with this or working, sorry, mm. with this bottom. And the bottom is like, actually, mm-hmm. I'm going to need to find you some teachers. Mm-hmm. That to me is like a much less satisfying situation as a top to be in. So yeah, very interesting. Um, cool. Okay. How Can... long did you train again before doing your first scene? Uh, I trained for let's see, maybe like nine months or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't like, this sounds to me like it was much more four hours yeah. every day. I was not training four hours every day. I was training for, you know, probably like 10 hours a week or something like that. At That's most. still substantial though. Yeah. But that was like, yeah, at, at most, I probably had some weeks where I was like six, some weeks where I was like 16. That's like still substantial though. Yeah. I, I was, I was trying hard, but I wasn't trying as hard as this guy was, but I was what, trying. Um, can you like talk a little bit more about like, yeah, I don't know, the decision making and like how you... Uh, found someone to train you because I also feel like in general now there just isn't really um, I mean obviously there isn't a culture around like a very organized culture around like cool yeah people will get trained Um, and so I feel like it might be helpful or interesting to yeah sure sure I I, yeah hopefully if you're listening to this you are like I do have a culture of wanting to get trained before I top because I do think it's important to Mm -hmm. have training and yet so many people don't (laughs) Right. And if you're listening, you're like, no, I don't think that's necessary. That's fine, too. But but yeah, personally, I think it's it's useful to to have some. Um, and so like for me, I was like, you know, being educated by books like this. I mean, like this is like a belief that I'm going to like internalize whether or not it's right that people should do like a lot of training going in and also just like work well for my personality. Um, so so, yeah. So for me, I was like, let me let me learn so I can go and I want to do dangerous stuff. So like, let me like, um, feel confident doing things that are dangerous. Um, and so, uh, I think at the time I was like, yeah, I feel like I was like, when I started training, I was like, I'm becoming confident in my personality as sadistic, but I still feel a little bit weird about it. And I feel a lot more comfortable if I just like kind of had all these skills together and knew how to think about it. So, um, the, the person who I ended up training with, I was, like, looking around for a little bit, and then I was, like, I already knew this person um, uh, from social media and, like, had liked some of her stuff. Um, so I reached out, and she was doing training at that time. I don't think she does it as much anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, like, when we did training, like, she taught, she had, like, a curriculum built out because she was, she was uh, 
that people were paying to to get trained by her um so like the curriculum started with like you know general concepts like which i think were helpful in terms of like thinking about kink like how do you negotiate a scene and like what does consent look like in a kink context and like what is polyamory because a lot of people are polyamorous Mm -hmm. in kink like some of the stuff i was like a little bit familiar with but it was just good to like you know have that kind of slow pedantic pedagogy to like start to use too many p words and then from there um more into okay how what are skills you want to learn how do you learn the basics for these skills like what are things you can practice from there um and i'm not like you know there's some people who are really excellent at their skills i'm like fine at a couple of different things that i do um but for me like knowing how to do the basics in a couple areas safely and then being able to practice and get better at those um so i could like you know get to some like intermediate level and then you know now i'm in a place where i could go out and actually become really good at some things if i put time and energy into it that was like really great in terms of just like getting started and being like wow now i can like do some impact and feel comfortable and like really be like i know what i'm doing you know to an extent and can keep someone safe and also like beat them up and it'll be great um same thing with other kind of things that i learned uh so that was yeah that was a good experience and and i yeah i just was like let me do this and when that then when i was like talking to bottoms i could like instead of being like oh yeah i don't really know what i'm doing like yolo i could just be like oh yeah i'm like actually have confidence and like i kind of know what i'm doing a little bit which made things a lot better so yeah can i throw in another p word slash question sure yeah sorry I was just no no like no yeah. yeah i mean i think it's interesting and useful because i feel like not many people especially like people go to like classes and stuff mm-hmm. um but i feel like those are very like one skill oriented and like very few people will like yeah for the class pedagogy like you have to like really stick with it yeah to, to pick up skills you can um, do it though yeah, yeah. but um in this training, do you feel like there was a power dynamic? Because obviously that was, like, very essential for early, um, or, like, yeah. Yeah. That Tom I'm, is talking about. Yeah, yeah, I think there was. I mean, like, I don't think it was uh, at all, like, excessive, but I think, like, there's definitely a power dynamic when you have someone who, like, knows and someone who doesn't know. Mm-hmm. It's, like, kind of a fall education. Um, so I feel like that would definitely mm-hmm. was there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you also bottomed in situations for like rope or like, were you doing self ties or, well, you were doing self ties. I was doing self ties, but I've never like bottomed, um, for a lot of stuff that I have taught for, um, which is like, some would say that that's like not the right approach. Um, for me, like I was like, okay, I'll get some familiarity with how all of these things feel by doing them on myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, is kind of my general principle, but it's, like, there are some things that I do, like, uh, you know, for instance, I've done, like, pretty hard caning with you mm-hmm. that you I just can't cane myself that hard, you know, so I don't know exactly yeah. how it feels. Yeah. Um, and also, I'm not a masochist, so I just wouldn't enjoy it, um, <laughs> honestly. So I feel like it's, like, good for me to have a sense of, like, okay, roughly this is how this feels, right. and I have done, like, that kind of testing, but I've never, like, uh, bottomed and, like, really gone all out mm-hmm. on something and don't really have a desire to. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Answering questions? Yeah. Um, and one more question, I guess. So uh, when you were training, um, was it was it just you? Or, like, was it one-on-one? Yeah, it was one-on-one. Okay. Yeah. It was one-on-one, and then also the um, person who was training me, like, had uh, had a couple partners at the time, and one of them would come, and, like, if we were going to do some 
concepts like impact or like rope would come and be like the demo bottom for gotcha. that yeah gotcha, gotcha. so yeah. you did have like someone yeah okay like to practice yeah and it was for me it was like really i was doing very little practicing i was like okay cool you know or whatever but it was more like okay i can see how this looks and get it talked through and stuff like that mm-hmm. so yeah it's like not obviously not everyone can afford to um to get trained I did as part of it. I was like, I was like, wow, let me let me donate some classes. So I did like pay for some other people's classes, which is good because I was like, this is a really good experience. Hopefully, hopefully someone used those classes out there. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that like uh, even not something that, at that level is like really useful in terms of like, yeah, I'm going to go to the consistently go to the free classes they have in a certain topic at the play space or. Um, you know, I'm going to like make some friendship with someone in the community and like, they'll like help teach me some things is like a great place to start too. So, sorry, can I ask one more question? Yeah. Uh, sorry, I have you in the hot seat. Um, no worries. And I think like, uh, I feel like a big thing when people are like, um, I don't know, like the kind of translation of like learning skills conceptually or even like practically and then like translating it into um actual practice Mm -hmm. so when you did do your first scene did it feel like a pretty seamless transition because you talked a little bit about how like when you were actually talking to people that like having the reference was helpful but yeah Uh, yeah it did feel pretty seamless Mm -hmm. um i think that you know for me uh i think probably the, the hardest part to feel seamless could be like getting into the vibe which is something like we talked about when we like started dating um you know like how do you actually get into the mindset of like i'm gonna be in a scene mm-hmm. um so i was like didn't really have a good i had like thought about that conceptually but i like didn't like have a really good idea on that um but i think like in terms of doing actions like you know if i was gonna do needles i had already right. stuck needles inside myself right. and i was like okay i'll just stick them inside you like you know this is how it works so it wasn't didn't that didn't feel that strange to me um, but, uh, yeah, I think I was like, how exactly will this dynamic work? But then, um, you know, I think it just is like, if you have a good vibe with someone, it just can kind of flow, at least in my, my case, um, versus like feeling awkward and weird. So I probably wouldn't do a scene with someone who I feel awkward and weird with, I think. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yay. Answering questions? Yeah, that was helpful. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, okay, so let's let's zoom back into this. And uh, do you want to uh, read a little bit more? Yeah. All right, cool. So we just finished on this, this section. Maybe you could start here. Okay. Yep. Yet I was still only a boy being trained to master an older, stronger, and wiser man. There were many things I could do with my hands, but it was my mind that needed to be strong. To be clumsy of hand was pardonable, but to be clumsy of mind was unforgivable. It was not easy then. It is not easy now, but it is the work. Okay, so that's pretty similar to what we were just talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. Does it make sense to continue there, or? Uh, yeah, it's just more stuff about work right down here. Mm-hmm. More masters are born, not made. A lot of emphasis on seriousness. To be accepted meant to be serious, and to be serious meant to be responsible and respected. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this is this is interesting. The master born on me quote because like it disagrees with what Tom thought. So like some one of his trainers, one of his masters, like said masters are born not made, and his like point is like no, actually masters are awakened. So I guess it like mm-hmm. could be similar. That's not disagreeing, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you want to just like read this, like describe kind of how they would 
Pi Charlie. Yeah. Together, Jason, who is the bondage training master, and I would entwine Charlie in a system of rope harnesses and webs that were as elaborate and intricate as finely crafted Swiss lace. (laughs) We were the envy of spiders everywhere. (laughs) For hours, we would knot and tie, twist and stretch the rope until we were almost entwined ourselves, caught in the webs of our own making. And the entire time we worked, Jason talked about what was happening in his mind, and he would quiz Charlie about his feelings of helplessness as the rope wound round and round his body like an endlessly prolonged lover's embrace. Vibes. (laughs) Tighter and tighter, the rope stretched him out, and all the while, Jason's gentle voice filled the stillness. And I listened to his gospel, and I remembered it. If another man places his life in your hands, then you are responsible for that man's life. And if he offers you his life and his mind and his heart, then you're responsible for everything. Everything! Exclamation point. He tugged on a rope that stretched Charlie's powerful arms a little wider. Charlie moaned. Jason smiled. Every man that comes under your hand is your responsibility. And once he has surrendered, once he has given himself to you, then he is forever under your protection. You see what I mean? These men are your responsibility forever. Once they have come to you in sincerity and given themselves to you, they must always remain under your protection. Just as you are my student and under my protection, just as Charlie is. He patted Charlie's head like a puppy and smiled. Then he pulled a rope that made Charlie gasp in pain. Pain, my young friend, is the master's gift. Tie a man up, make his body ache with pleasure, and you've given him a gift. Stretch him, bind him, and love him, and he'll come after you with his tail wagging like a grateful pup. Give him pain deep in his body and deep in his mind, and then break him completely, and he will be your slave forever. He looked at me and winked. Forever, my young would be my young would be master is a hell of a long time. Remember that when you set out, remember that when you set about to dominate another man's heart and mind. Let's just stop there. Um, okay, that is like probably hard to read too because I literally underlined so many words in that section. Which, again, looking back, I'm a little bit like, it was kind of cringy for me to be like, let me underline everything here. But also, I was like, yeah, this is an inspiring soliloquy. Um, like a lot of things in this essay, I feel like a little bit too intense in terms of tenor. I'm like, okay, yeah, like you could also just play with someone and YOLO it for, and have fun. I'm definitely in the like the have fun camp as someone who's uh, King Candle is a, is a clown. I think I like definitely like to like, joke around. But I also think that I fuck with... Um, yeah, some of the some of the stuff that's being said here, I think it like makes a lot of sense to like, you know, as a top to think of yourself as having a responsibility, um, and to uh, really kind of relish that. That's really kind of the fun of being a top is like having that responsibility, and also this thing about giving people pain. I have to say, like, I've never had such dedicated bottoms as the people who I severely hurt. Um, so I would say that this this bears out. Like, if it's like, if I really hurt you, you're going to really like me. It's like kind of like the <laughs> the like uh the takeaway that i have from being kinky so uh i would have to agree with this this last thing he said yeah yeah um i think like yeah it surprises me and doesn't surprise me that you like really like this like what isn't surprising about you liking this essay is that it's really well written and also it's like you know historical dive into subculture yeah yeah what surprises me is that it is like so formalized and like hierarchical and like so different i think from like i think that you are probably like the least like formal structure like dom top you know that i have played with 
Like, mm-hmm. and, and, which is interesting also in relation to, like, you know, this is extremely about sadomasochism, but it's also, like, master-slave and therefore, like, a very, very, like, capital D, like, lowercase s kind of dynamic. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It is interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, one one thing that I really like about this essay is like I feel like despite the fact that it is extremely corny and a little bit annoying, we I have think a little bit of corniness. Yes, I think also like it it uh, to me it speaks to the part of me that has a top, um, and so I feel like that part of me is like it's like kind of like a little bit of a secret part of you in my experience that you're kind of like okay this is over here but i feel like reading this i'm like oh this this is a vibe like i feel like i i fuck with this mm. in, in that way even though i'm like oh this is corny you know in a way you could watch a show that's extremely corny but also be like oh i kind of fuck with mm-hmm. this and relate to it um so i think that that's that's kind of why this gets me a little bit yeah. i think important thing to note is also jason who i didn't like do my good job of being like quotation you know end quote or whatever but like a lot of the like very intense stuff was coming from jason who is and I quote, a sadist poet. And so, yeah. like, all of this is already coming, which, you know, I would say that Tom seems to be a bit of a poet himself. Yeah, so yeah. It's coming from a very, like, you know, it is very intense and also, like, very just charged language. Yeah, yeah. Um,. But it's very, it's very corny to say pain, my young friend, is the master's gift. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I love it. Fun. Yeah. Um, okay, like, can I read a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay. So, uh, so he's a little bit, he threats essays, like, shady towards co- contemporary kinksters, so we're going to, like, pass over some of that. And Are we? Yeah, I think so. I just think it's, it's like, a little bit tired. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear some of it? Pass over it. Okay, cool. Uh, let's just, you know, infer if you ever heard someone who thinks that they're quote unquote old guard talking about how annoying people are today, like that's basically what he says. Okay. Anyway. So he says now white hair and beard have placed me squarely in the center of the daddy fixation. And I respectfully thank whatever deity is in charge of such perversions um as a daddy i relate to this daddy deity (laughs) yeah yeah not a deity but a daddy um but back in the 1950s it was very different there were simply so many masters that i was only one among many i could not have survived on my own and would never have learned a thing had it not been for charlie though my apprenticeship with respected masters and through my uh partnership with charlie i gained entrance into that special inner circle of serious other men but once inside that circle, I would have to earn respect and honor on my own. There was no free ride then for being young and hot. I think there is today. See, we're still going to get some shade. I don't know. What do you think? Is there? Do you get a free ride if you're young and hot? Uh, I would say yes, you do get a free ride if you're young and hot uh, in general in society. Yeah. 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 Pretty privileged. Um, okay. So we hear again that there's like a, a bottom shortage. Um, let's see. So... Okay, so one, one tradition that most clearly demonstrated this bottom shortage was the special private events. Often these events centered around a significant time, like a birthday or anniversary. The host of Bottom, Bottoms are often hosts to this day, um, would invite his crowd and select a number of masters to work their wonders on his body for his pleasure and the education and delight of the assembled faithful. Ugh, such a Bottom move. 
be like, oh, wow, I'm going to invite a bunch of masters to work their delights on my body. Uh, Charlie and I attended a number of these events, and I learned a great deal about protocol and correct behavior and how to wait my turn. Young ponies have trouble standing still. A seasoned stallion knows when the time is his and seizes it. I feel like you're like growing closer to me. You're like, oh, this is so cute. Um, I'm also just like, you have a lot of trouble staying still. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah, it's true. Same. Yes. Unless uh, someone's like on top of me. Anyways. No, you're good. Um, this is cute. Jason and I had grown closer with each passing day. That's to say this poet. Our mutual interests made being together easy and pleasurable so we spent as many hours together as we could over the two year, over the years i have come to appreciate that that special bond between two masters it is rare and very special i wanted his respect and in time earned it along with the gift of his friendship but i still had not been tested by my peers my training was coming to a conclusion i had learned to shave a man correctly <laughs> how to pierce flog bind and cut a man correctly i was trained to monitor heart rate breathing skin temperature eye movement their apple watch and strength of, of erection. <laughs> and I learned the true meaning of surrender when a proud man inclines his head to the chest of the man he has chosen to master him. All slaves choose their masters. I learned the great lesson to respect every man who came under my hand and to love him as well. Um, so that's like a shout back to that um, scene where like Charlie's already doing the sign of like inclining his head onto his chest. Uh, I feel like this is a very like top bottom me sign. Like the, you ever be hugging someone and like you put, you know, your head on their chest. I feel like you're kind of saying, yeah, I'm the bottom right now. You know, I don't know. Maybe not. What do you think? Uh, uh, immediate reaction. Yes. But like, I will think on it. Okay. That's good. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Um, cool. Do you want to read about Charlie's birthday? Yeah, sure. All right. All right. I'm going to start like there. The event was Charlie's birthday, and there was a hundred or more men invited along in whatever trash they were currently involved with. Damn. Wow. The final count was easily over 200 Leathermen. Wow, so Charlie's like, let's get together 200 Leathermen to torture me for my birthday. I love it. In those days, there were no ready-made leather shops with on-the-rack and off-the-rack, uh, off-the-shelf kinky items. If you wanted a dildo, you carved it. A harness was created. I indicated that owl. I think that was an yeah, owl. Yeah. yeah. Like, what are you... Car like, what are the possible materials? Wood? Yeah, exactly. Just, like, splinters. Oh, God. Ooh. Oh, wow. That's, that's sadism at its finest. Mm -hmm. um, a harness was created by visiting the local saddle shop and improvising. Leather pants and jackets came from Harley-Davidson. Chaps came from Western shops, as did boots and vests. Each item was made with care and imagination. As the event progressed, DIY. Um, as the event progressed, Charlie was worked on by several masters who were his friends and knew where his body and mind could be taken. There were breaks in the action as one team would finish and another prepare to set up their routine, and another new scene would unfold. Charlie is like getting the work put in. Mm -hmm. The bottoms want this. Finally, Jason and I constructed an elaborate rope web and then spun Charlie into it. After two hours, Charlie hung suspended in midair damn two can you hours. imagine you've done other scenes and then you get suspended for two hours mm -hmm. that's crazy stretched wide and flying like multiple other scenes leading to a suspension mm -hmm. of two hours yeah by moving the various control ropes we could change his position and toss him about like a puppet on a string then we landed him and secured his ankles to the ground my time had come like a student pilot i was about to fly solo 
Jason took my hand, patted me on the ass, winked one green eye, and sat down in the front row. I was all alone now, on my own. Can you imagine this? Like, you're, like, in your 20s, you're being watched by over 200 God, leather yeah, daddies, and you're about to hurt your lover, who has been through, like, three hours of scene, maybe at this mm-hmm. point, or four hours of scening. That's crazy. And a world war. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and a world war, yes. My throat was dry, my heart pounded, and my mind fought to stay focused. I pulled on a pair of short black leather gloves and stepped around to face Charlie. He looked into my eyes with love and trust and formally surrendered by inclining his head to my chest. I embraced him. Slowly, trying not to look like a nervous colt, I moved around behind Charlie and began to caress his broad, muscled back, which was stretched flat from his fingers being bound and extended. Or arms being bound and... Wait, what? Yeah, arms being bound and extended. With my right index finger, I began to draw a pattern on his back. The room full of men was quiet but restless and questioning. What was the kid doing? These were unfamiliar gestures. Running a fingertip over someone's back might be odd, even kinky. But was it sadism? They kept quiet and watched. What no one knew was that I had embedded a razor-sharp scalpel into the fingertip of my glove. The tracery I was creating on Charlie's back was being gently cut into the topmost layer of his skin. Not quite deep enough to raise blood, but just enough to split the skin. It only took a few minutes to create the design, but to me, these moments seemed like hours. Then I stepped back, picked up a broad leather paddle, and with all the force I could muster, smacked the paddle flat against Charlie's back three times. The impact caused the skin to split open and blood to rush to the surface and fill the thin lines that I'd cut into his back. Slowly at first, and then more quickly, the blood oozed out until the full design became clear to everyone in the room. I had cut a large, smiling sunburst into my lover's back. Under the sunburst were the words, happy birthday. A little humor can go a long, long way. The gasps of wonder and amusement in the room were my reward. I had begun the evening as a lanky kid, but now I had earned my place among serious men. See, he says this, but I'm like, is this is this play? Because I feel like this is a pretty funny scene to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Like the surprise, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oozing out from this guy's skin. This yeah. feels that feels very like um, Villanelle from Killing Eve to me. I don't know why. And it's also it's also the like. He's 20. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm so serious, I'm cutting happy birthday into this guy's yeah, back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, yeah, I, honestly, like, I just feel like this whole moment, if described accurately, is just so wild to, like, think about step by step. Like, I, I just can't imagine a world in which, well, actually, I can't imagine it, but it's just so far from my current world where, like, I could be like, okay, cool, it's my mom's birthday, time to do a, like, probably four-hour, like, different types of many tops using them scene, like, where after which I will make a little joke by cutting happy birthday into their back, and it, like, it's just, like, that part checks out, but, like, the rest of it is, like, you know, that's just, like, so much endurance, like, you need to be so prepared to be a bottom, be like, I'm gonna bottom for 200 tops, like, that's crazy, you know? I really am wondering how much we can, like, I'm wondering how many liberties are being taken with, like, any of this. Me too. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Because 400 or 200 people in a room, this is a big ass room. I know. What do you, I I picture like a cavern. Like, I'm like, it's like a cavern from Avatar or something. I'm like, what is going on? You know, like, seriously. 
Yeah, it's it's it does seem a little bit like that's also so many leather people to know at this time. You know, mm-hmm. two hundred as Charlie. Like, damn, Charlie knew a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, you want to wrap us up? Yeah. Um, I mean, sad ending. Yeah, maybe not. We don't go all the way there, but like, basically, like what happens after the scene? Like, um, yeah. So, uh, they, they, is it just after the scene that they like basically never see each other again? I think so, right? Yeah. Oh no, they. Well, hang on. No, so I guess it seems like. Um, it's written, like, my relationship with Charlie deepened and became more profound for us both. Um, it was to be forever in our hearts and minds, but the following September, I left for college. Can you imagine doing this before you went to college? That's what I'm saying. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And so that's when they parted. Yeah. Um, and didn't see each other for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and he writes, looking back now, I realized I made one error in judgment. A youthful one born, in, born of inexperience. I thought this world would be filled with good men like Charlie, but I was mistaken. He was one of a kind. That's so sad. Mm -hmm. That's really sad. And, like, that's also so true. Like, as you get older, you realize more and more how important, like, good people are and how hard they are to find. Yeah. Great, great call. What's the Flannery O'Connor, A Good Man is Hard to Find? The short story? I don't know. Okay. Sorry. Um... Do you want to... I mean, basically, I don't know. I feel like this is too sad. Let's not, let's not end on a downer. But basically, like, Charlie is, like, in the veterans' hospital at the end of the book. And it's, like, they see each other again. And he's mm-hmm. like, damn. I, just catching you, like, on the way out, Charlie, that's that's rough, you know? So, it's it's too bad. As with many, yeah. There, yeah. I don't know. I feel like a lot of... Or maybe no. Um, it is interesting that this is, like, so situated. I mean, yes, because of the prompt, it's, like, just on the 1950s, but, like, so situated in his youth as well. You yeah. know, like, there really is this kind of, like, hyper-intense, rose-tinted glasses, full immersion yeah. of, like pre being 20 you know yeah Um, yeah that i think also informs a lot of the like also like i feel like gung-ho-ness about like just being in all this and being respected by like men much older than him and like um yeah it's interesting yeah it's like honestly really this is such a romantic story too in some ways like the one of the last things that Charlie says to him is like, I need you to walk me to the gate. I have the ticket, but I'm afraid to go alone. Can I count on you? Like what a like DSE thing to say when you're about to die, seriously. Like they need to turn this into some like Hallmark card slash movie, you know? This would be the most fun Hallmark movie. <laughs> yeah. I would watch this, yeah. I mean, obviously I would watch this. Mm-hmm. Um We should Hallmark should just sell um people with happy birthday carved into their back and you just slap it and deliver it to someone oh my god that's so exciting that's a really good idea thanks for coming up with a brilliant business idea yeah instead of like what is it like the singing te- like birthday cards or whatever you just like yeah the bottom yeah you get to hit 
them. Yeah. That sounds great. Everyone would like that. That would be a success. Commercial impact. Okay, cool. Uh, so impact. what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What did we think about that? Uh, pretty good, right? I feel like yeah, was, no, yeah. I really like this essay. I love going back and reading that. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, different a different time that maybe never existed, but very very cool. Yeah, yeah it really has the like all the workings of like fantasy world building. Right. Yeah, it does. It totally does. Including bottom men and top men. <laughs> As oh, a God. single word. Maybe we should have just called this podcast "Bottom Men and Top Men." Yeah. Missed opportunity, yeah. Um, yeah, let us know if you think we should change the name to Bottom Men and Top Men. All right, cool. All right, let's wrap up. Uh, anything else you want to say? No. All right, good night. Good night. I'll talk to you later.